Eric is the champion of the world. And now it's time for the Laravel News Podcast. Here's your champion, Eric Barnes, along with Jack Frew. Actually, guys, isn't Taylor Otwell the champion of the world? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 14 of the Laravel News Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jack Frew, along here with Eric Barnes. Eric, how are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Well, today is April 15th, and this is a day of much significance for anybody living in the United States because it is the day that our taxes are due. But I suspect that going forward, this will also be known as a special day in the Laravel community. Do you want to tell us about why that might be, Eric? Yeah, so Spark first beta release came out today. The official launch date is Tuesday, which will be the day that this recording publishes. But today's Friday, and the the beta release of Spark came out. So everybody is excited about that. For sure. And speaking of Spark, we have a special guest today. Taylor Otwell will be joining us in just a bit to talk about Spark. But first, we've got a little bit of info about a couple of other Laravel-related items, and then we'll chat with Taylor about Spark. The first item we have here is this Composer version one. So Eric, that's were you blown away by the response to that? Did you? What did you think? Did you? You want to tell everybody what happened? All right. Yes. Yeah, so Composer came out. They actually released their first uh, V1 official um, release, and as part of the release, um, Jordy created a gold floppy disk that contained the source code of composer on it and put it up on ebay as kind of like a collector item auction and it ended up going for like a, it was over a thousand pounds you know uk money but was that like fifteen hundred dollars us it's something ridiculous i think it was like a thousand twenty british pounds which this as of the exchange rate when i looked at it this morning was fourteen hundred and forty seven dollars us what's a playstation cost these days are they like three four hundred bucks I don't know. <laughs> and, and, and you can get over here in the U.S., you can get like a nice big screen TV, like a like a 60 inch, maybe 55 inch for I've seen them on sale for like six, seven hundred dollars. So like fourteen hundred and forty seven dollars. That's pretty significant. Yeah, I was going to say, I just bought an iPad Pro with the keyboard and the pencil and it was all cheaper than that. So. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, you know, I don't know. I, I think you'll get more use out of the iPad, but Composer is pretty usable. Anyway, I thought that was actually pretty outstanding, though. It is. I assume that the people that wrote Composer are the ones that are going to benefit from that sale. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure that's what they'll do. Just kind of put it in the fund. So, yeah, you know, I mean, if you if you'd put all that time in and you could make a, a grand from it or something, that's great. That and then I think the other thing we have before we get to Spark is the Laravel cheat sheet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did you check that out? I did check you... that out. I actually really liked it. I thought it was kind of nice. I love having a quick source, uh, you know, to go to. And I actually pulled it up. You know, I kind of Googled it because I, I didn't remember the URL, but I was doing some work on it. And I was like, I bet you the cheat sheet would answer this. And, and sure enough, it did. So how about you? Yeah, it's pretty neat. So a little history on the cheat sheet. Jesse O'Brien, about two years ago, maybe, he created one for like Laravel 4. And it was really, really popular. And then he just hadn't had time to keep it updated. So this company created a version 5.1 release. And they kind of put their own design on it and made it a little bit different. But in the comments on my the original post on Laravel News, somebody else made a comment about another one that kind of takes Jesse's same style. So there's actually two different ones now. Oh, really? Both of them you can you know you can install yourself. So so it's pretty pretty neat. I'm gonna have to check that out. I the only one I looked at was the what I think was the first one was it the one that was kind of like a gray or dark dark like almost like a black background and then it almost like it resized as you resized the window, so it was kind of like a, a little bit interactive not, not interactive is not the right word but uh 
responsive, I guess would be the word, right? It was right, yeah. And then I think they had an option to generate a PDF from it, if I remember right. Yeah, I think so. And the same one I'm thinking of had a bunch of filter words, like on the left-hand side, you could click on like a filter word and filter down. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the the new one, right? Yeah. And then the other one is, uh, the other one takes more of Jesse's like kind of original design and just kind of updates everything to match. And with it, instead of filtering down by section, you just type in, you just search. Um, so, so both are pretty neat. And yeah. I actually both do the PDF version and you can toggle the code comments on and off and all that. And those are on uh, Laravel News? Yeah, we will link to it in the show notes. Perfect. Awesome. Well, geez, is there anything else to talk about this week? I think that's our show. Thanks yeah. for listening. No, I'm just teasing, of course. So this week, with the introduction of Laravel Spark, we have a very special guest. Uh, welcome to the show, Taylor. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for thanks for being on. And more than anything, thanks for Spark. So uh, for those of the people listening that don't know what Spark is, do you mind telling us a little bit about uh, what Spark is and what it'll do for someone? Sure. So Spark is basically everything I wish I had when I was writing Laravel Forge and Envoy in terms of bootstrapping all of the subscription billing code and authentication code and invoices and even stuff I didn't put into Forge and Envoy like notifications, announcements and all that good stuff. So basically you install Spark and it gives you all of that stuff out of the box, like a scaffolding, so to speak. And Laravel already has, you know, like authentication scaffolding. So think of Spark as like that times like 100. So you get that plus all the subscription billing stuff, team, logic, notifications, announcements, coupons, invoices. Then it has some really cool stuff on the back end, like a developer kiosk where you can see some metrics about your revenue, um, impersonate other users, and uh, search for users, stuff like that. So a lot of stuff really to get you started because the idea behind it is when you have a side project idea or your company starting a new project, you just kind of want to get to work on your idea. You don't want to be bogged down about all this sort of boilerplate subscription code. So the goal of Spark is to whenever you have an idea to just get you started on your idea and all of that stuff is done for you. That's pretty awesome, man. So what what gave you the idea to come up with this stuff? Was this kind of, did this kind of spring from your work as creating SASs like with Forge and Envoyer and stuff? Yeah, so after creating Forge and Envoyer, you know, when I started to think about would I ever want to do another SaaS? I just thought how painful all of that stuff was. And I thought it would be great if I could just never do that again, basically. So um, that was sort of the genesis for Spark, where I always dreaded all of that code. And you tend to cut corners on a lot of that code. Like, for example, on Laravel Forge, didn't even support coupons for a while. And I don't think Envoyer supports coupons still to this day. Because it's stuff when you're just trying to ship a product like it's easy to skip over that stuff just to get it out the door because it's just time consuming and annoying. Yeah. And so on Spark, I tried to do everything just right, you know, without cutting any corners as perfect as I could so that I knew that everyone would have kind of a perfect foundation for all their subscription billing stuff. I know I've heard you say before uh, publicly that you felt like this would save someone. I don't know if you said two weeks or at least two weeks. And in my head, I was thinking, I'm like, no, this is like months and months and months because of those very things, right? These little details that you would skip when you do it the first time and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, we got to get coupons or we've got to get teams or we've got to get more than one plan and how do we prorate and all these little details that you've figured out already. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, it definitely saves a lot of time. Um, Definitely weeks, I think. And, you know, it just saves you a lot of kind of just a lot of Googling and all that stuff that's, it's not super hard stuff to code, but it's just time consuming and sort of nitpicky and tedious to code all of that logic. And there's there are some things that you can miss in terms of how um, 
how you prorate plans and how you apply coupons and all of that logic. So um, yeah, it just saves you a ton of that time and lets you just get started to what you actually care about. Because whenever I have an idea, I sort of just want to hack on the idea. I don't want to have to work on any of that boring stuff. For sure. So let me ask you, what uh, what was the funnest part to work on? Like what part are you the most proud of? Mm, gosh, it honestly wasn't that fun. But <laughs> um, the, hopefully it gets you to the fun stuff a little faster. Uh, some of the more challenging parts, I guess, were like supporting Stripe and Braintree in the same package because I knew like Braintree supports PayPal and I know that PayPal is sort of popular if you have a worldwide audience that's buying your product and you sort of want to reach those markets that maybe don't have credit cards, but they do have PayPal. So I felt like for those types of products, PayPal was going to be pretty indispensable, but I had to figure out how to make that all work on the back end with Stripe and PayPal or Braintree rather without duplicating a lot of code. So um, some pretty interesting things going on in the code there with some interfaced form requests and injecting form requests through the container and stuff like that to really make that really streamlined. That was probably one of the more challenging parts. The European VAT tax stuff was fairly challenging. That did not sound fun at all. That did not sound fun at all. (laughs) No. The most fun part was probably writing the kiosk with all the fun charts, revenue charts, and user impersonation, because those were pretty cool, uh, useful features. What did you... uh, Did you use a library for the charts? Yeah, that's just Chart.js with just a pretty simple line chart. And how that works on the back end is basically, we actually keep a local table of every charge or every invoice charge that your application makes. So we listen for the webhooks from Stripe and Braintree, and then we store that record of the total amount paid, the tax paid, and various other things in the table, sort of denormalized. And then you can set up a nightly job that runs the Spark KPI command, you know, for key performance indicators. And that logs the nightly snapshot of your monthly recurring revenue, your yearly recurring revenue, your new users, your daily volume and stuff like that into a separate table called performance indicators. And that lets us do a really performant retrieval of all that stuff to make your chart. So we don't have to like query Stripe and do a bunch of aggregation to get those numbers. We sort of have it all ready to go because of this nightly job. Awesome. That's fantastic. Spark 1.0 will launch uh, tomorrow. Uh, I think we knocked out a few bugs. There was nothing really um, that show-stopping, actually. Spark has a lot of unit tests. They don't ship with the Spark library itself because they sort of require a whole application to run because there's quite a few integration tests that actually hit Stripe and Braintree all the way through. So that covered a lot of stuff, and there wasn't a lot of bugs. The main stuff we squashed was some Windows installation problems, which I think there may still be one or two, but nothing too bad. Um but yeah, everything else seemed to be pretty smooth overall. Yeah, I think I've, I've, the response that I've seen online has been uh, overwhelming. It's been great. So uh, for those who haven't heard the pricing details, do you want to cover that real quick? Yeah, so it's $99 to sort of get in the door and that gets you Spark and you can, that's valid for um, up to one sort of deployed launch project. Um, so you can you can buy Spark and download it and toy around with it on, you know, 10 or 15 ideas and then as long as you launch one, you know, that license is still valid. Sure. You, you can also buy um, an unlimited license for $299, which basically lets you just ship unlimited projects for the major release. So the 1.0 release, will, which will probably be around for a while, I'm guessing, because I'll be busy um, with Laracon and working on other stuff for a while. But right. um, yeah, so that gets you unlimited projects, uh, which is handy if you're a, cli- if you're a shop that's doing um, these types of apps for clients. You know, you're probably going to just pass that cost on anyway um so it's it saves you i mean 
quite a bit of time in development lets you uh, ship better products faster. Uh, one question I had: if you were, if you are a shop, are we? Are, are you thinking it's like two ninety nine for the whole shop, or is it like two ninety nine per developer at a shop? Well, it doesn't. It's really two ninety nine for the whole shop. We don't really distinguish by um, developers, so to speak. So you don't have to pay per developer. So yeah, you're getting a pretty good bargain if it's your whole shop and you can buy a Spark license for two ninety nine. That's basically free. If if you're if you can afford to hire other developers, then you can. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Then yeah, that's basically free. So that's true. Awesome. Well, Taylor, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Uh, I know your time's limited and everything, and I, I'm I'm super excited about Spark, and I can't wait to see uh, what people do with it, as well as getting into it myself. So thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So thanks again to Taylor for coming on the show. I think that was just awesome. So thank you so much for sharing all that with us. Now, uh, what you're about to hear is recording that Eric and I did a few days before the Taylor recording. So we were kind of speculating on some things that Taylor actually answered. There's going to be a little bit of duplication. You know, Eric and I talked about the price. Taylor already talked about that. But we had some good content in there. And Eric kind of talks about what he's going to use Spark for. And we talk about some other things. So uh, we didn't want to just throw it away once we got the Taylor interview recorded. So you kind of get both. Anyway, uh, without further ado, here's the rest of the podcast with Eric and I talking about Spark. I'm looking forward to it. I, I bought a copy this morning. I can foresee all kinds of uses for it. Eric, what about you? Do you do you do you picture yourself using it personally or in any of your projects in the in the short term? Yes. Yeah, so Laravel News has uh, members, and and what members do is they they donate basically to help uh, help me fund Laravel News with the, like the newsletter and and kind of keep active um, with it because as we all know, sending out newsletters is expensive. So right now I'm I'm running it through a WordPress plugin, and what I want to do is install Spark. And then move everything over to that. Yeah, Spark looks so good for that. So uh, I, I just wanted to share a couple of resources that uh, we've found, and I'm, I'm sure you could find these too. But uh, so first of all, the the website spark.laravel.com is up and running right now. Uh, if you go to regularlaravel.com, he's added a link, he being Taylor, to uh, you know to the spark.laravel.com website. The documentation is on there. You can view the documentation for free. If you want to play with Spark. You have to first register and then put in a credit card number and then buy a copy. And this will go out on Tuesday, I think. So by the time this goes out, it, it should be the the regular edition. Right now, what he's basically selling he, as he's putting it is the you know the beta edition, if you will. But actually, this is I think Eric. I think that actually plays in everybody's favor because I think by by Tuesday, you know, any little bugs and stuff will probably have worked themselves out, right? Right. So it's probably actually a nice nice thing I think to have a what I would call a short little beta period. Yeah, he already tweeted uh, this morning that he's he fixed a typo and he said you can just run PHP artisan spark colon update to get the update down from Spark. So that was pretty cool. Other resources right now, uh, he's actually, so this is Friday, is like launch day. Taylor's out on the Slack channel. There's a Spark Slack channel. So if you're in Slack, but you haven't looked at the channel list lately, have a look and get into the Spark channel. Also over on Laracast, there's a, a Spark category for their discussion board so that you can you know you have more kind of like long-term discussions over there let's see what else on laracast right now as of friday there are four videos but uh jeffrey said i think he's expecting you know upwards of maybe 10 or 12 when it's all done uh and and taylor is the one doing those videos so he walks you through the installation and i think he's walked through like billing and uh just like one or two features so far so there's you know resources that we know about for all of that kind of stuff other things I've noticed is on Twitter, I've seen a couple of prominent people that we've 
tweeted about in the past that have said that they picked up Spark and we're going to be diving into it. So I, I expect that we'll see some blog posts, probably not right away, but in you know the coming weeks and certainly in the coming months, I bet you there'll be more about that stuff out there. Another thing too is if you go, like if you just want to kind of demo it, you can actually go to spark.laravel.com and register. And the admin is basically all Spark. Good point. You can play around and you don't have to pay, but you can kind of see how everything's set up and, you know, from the from the visual aspect. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. From a licensing perspective, this is a little bit old news. I think we covered a little bit last week, but the price ended up being $99. Now, Taylor did tweet at some point that that might end up being an intro price. So I don't know if there's some plans in his, you know, in his mind to raise the price later or not. But uh, it's $99. Now, one option that some of you might be interested in, when I went to pay for it today, there's also an option for $299 for unlimited websites. So the, the license works out as such. You, you have to pay $99 to get anything, right? In other words, to get a copy to play with. And then if you launch that copy on a production website that's you know customer-facing and is going to earn you money, that first one that you buy goes to that first website, right? It's $99 for one per live site, if you will. Then if you build a second project, that is another $99, right? And, and, and so on and so forth. And uh, basically for $299, Taylor's saying, you know, you can use this on as many projects as you want. Uh, anyway, yeah, it's kind of an exciting time. There's a lot of stuff on this, uh, you know, a lot of activity going on right now. Definitely one of the, uh, I mean, I, I wanted to say definitely one of the better days for, for Laravel, but I think Laravel has really nothing but great days anyway. So it's, I don't mean to make it sound like there's good days and bad days, but, but I think this is definitely a day that... Uh, Everyone's going to look back on it and be like, hey, this is pretty cool. Just talking about what Spark does, you know, it, it does user stuff. That was kind of cool. It, it does payments. That's kind of neat. But what, what I thought was interesting and worth talking about is that, you know, the payment stuff has been pretty, from, from just reading about it here and, and, and seeing the, the, the podcast and things from, from Taylor and even, even last year at, uh, at Laracon U.S., you know, he's handled a lot of stuff in payments that you wouldn't think about. And I think one of the things is, is that whenever you look at deciding whether you're going to spend a hundred bucks or something, it's kind of like, well, could I do that myself? You know, for me personally, $99, I mean, I don't know what, for, for an average developer, is that an hour worth of time? Is it two hours, four hours, right? Is it 10 hours? I mean, I guess it depends on your billing rate, but I know I couldn't do what Spark does uh, in 10 hours worth of time. There's no way I could do it, right? So, you know, it's definitely a money saver from my perspective. And some of the things that he does is he's got like discount codes and he's got the ability to change plans. So you can, you can have multiple plans. Like here's the $10 starter plan and here's the $20 plan. And then, and then he's figured out like all the stuff, like if somebody's in the middle of a plan month and they want to change plans, like how do you deal with that and prorating like the difference back and all that kind of stuff. Like these are little things that I think if you think about, well, you know, I'll, I'll buy Eric's easy commerce book and I'll just use Stripe directly and I'm not going to pay the hundred bucks for Spark. Like these are the kind of things that before you know it, you've sunk weeks into, you know, because they just crop up one thing after another, after another. And Eric's on uh, Skype with me right now. I see him shaking his head. Yes. Like, you know, for sure. Well, well at work, we, uh, we, we actually, I rebuilt our uh, billing system at the end of last year. And, okay. and the way our software was sold was, you know, you buy it and then you get your license. So it was basically you, you, each one was an individual purchase. Um, so then we decided that we were going to go to a recurring uh, billing, but uh, you can actually pay by credit card um, and then automatically bills, or you can do it by invoice if you pay by the year. So we have like all this crazy stuff. And, and so now it's what April. So I've probably sunk like six months of work into this whole billing system. Oh my. 
Um, of course, not every day, not working on it every day, but it was just, it's just so much stuff is involved that you don't realize until you actually jump in there and start building all this. Um, so yeah, this definitely will be a huge time saver and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. I, I, and then there's like other little stuff that he's got, he's got the ability to have team plans. That's another thing I would never mm-hmm. have thought about, you know, he's got two factor authentication built in. Right. So that's kind of exciting. I, I think a lot of people, I know like at my company, we love the idea of being able to have a, if nothing else for password resets, like, all right, check your phone, give me the code. Let's make sure it's you kind of thing, you know? And he's got, there was a, there was a, was it a tweet or a video? Uh, you can, we already talked about it. Uh, you can upgrade spark from spark. And what it'll do is let's just say that you've customized a view that spark uses he must be doing some kind of a, a, a checksum or a windiff or, or something so that he won't upgrade over things that you've customized, right? He'll just warn you and say, hey, this is this has been updated. You might want to go back and retro it in. So it sounds like the installer is really intelligent. And I, I look at this whole stuff and I think to myself, man, just the amount of time that must have been spent making the installer work and, and mm-hmm. get it right and all that kind of stuff is is just you know crazy. Right. Um, here's another feature I love. Uh, have you read about Eric the the user impersonation feature? No. Um, okay, so so get this. This is I'm telling you, folks. This is huge. You've got a system and you log into it. Let's say like you know Eric's going to log into his payment system as Eric. Well, Eric's like you know he's God on that system, right? He can do anything he wants to, so he doesn't see things from the user's point of view, right? Now it'd be great when you're troubleshooting to be able to log in as the user, but you don't have to ask the user for their password, right, to log in as them. And you could create a you know a test account and log in that way, but then you're not seeing the same thing. This thing has user impersonation, and as an admin, you can impersonate any user and then see the system as that user would see the system. And like to me, that's just brilliant. I mean, that's it's a it's a great idea, and I think it's really really helpful, especially in the early days when you're kind of devving stuff up and you're trying to make sure things work and you want to see how they look and what the experience is like. Uh, I really thought that was fantastic. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, I I really like the announcements feature. I don't know if you checked that out. Um, in the video, he, he, he demoed it, but so like you can, from the, from the administration area, you can send out announcements and it kind of pulls down into a little pop-up. Um, and then the, I guess the screen kind of, it'll show on the side of the screen, you know, whenever a new, new announcement comes in, but that'll actually, it, uh, it calls an event. So you can actually hook into that and you would have to code it yourself, but you can hook that into you like your newsletter system. So whenever you write an announcement, you can actually automatically email people and all that. So that I think that'll be handy. Nice. Taken individually, you could look at each one of these things and say, oh, that's a nice to have, but you put them all together in a package and I think it adds a lot of value. I think it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And e- even the VAT, did you see that part? Oh my goodness. Which we don't have to deal with that being you know in America, but... We don't have to, although, although we have to deal with multiple state taxes don't we yeah now it doesn't handle that that's going to be left up to you because each state is so different and it depends on the type of company you have okay uh, i think i actually saw a tweet from ian the other day about HelpSpot and new york charging sales tax or something like that on SaaS services right the head offices of userscape is in new york and then so i'm in north carolina we got chris in texas or back in Tennessee, but basically every state we have a presence, we have to charge tax. So oh, any man. state we don't have a presence, we don't have to charge tax. So it's yeah. just this whole confusing mess it's, of taxes. It's awful. Yes. It's awful. And, and then each report for each state is different. So like you have to pay quarterly taxes and, 
And most states do like, you know, like January through March is the quarter. Yeah. But New York is December through February. Oh, geez. So it's like all this crazy stuff. How much of that stuff can, like, if you only build through Stripe, will Stripe pay the sales tax on your behalf or are they strictly a payment gateway and that's all they do? Just a payment gateway. You have to, you have to send them the tax to charge. So something, I guess, to consider, folks, if you're doing a software as a service, there might be a need to charge tax depending on what state you're in. But see, and then that's what's also confusing about America is some companies charge, some don't. So it's like, you know, are you supposed to charge it on the SaaS? Are you not supposed to charge it on the SaaS? Or do you just kind of wing it and hope you never get audited? Or, you know, what happens there? Yeah, so taxes are tough. Going back to the, the European Union stuff, their tax regulations are, are also equally tough. And I do remember t- uh, Taylor tweeting that for some of those, maybe the whole thing, the invoice numbers have to be like sequential. Like there's, you can't have random invoice numbers. They have to be in a row. So he had to go in and he did something to make sure that that happens in Spark. And by the way, uh, Spark has full invoicing capability, which I think is another great thing, right? If you've got a customer and you're billing them, let's say every month, you don't have to deal with like the invoice part of that. The customer can log into their account at any point in time and go back and look at all of their old invoices and you know, what comes to mind for me on that, Eric, is I have a GitHub subscription that I pay a few bucks a month for. It's like the $7 personal plan or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, at the end of the year, if I've made any money, then I'm going to use that as a write-off. So I now need to go collect, like, all of those invoices because I need to have the document of proof that they were an expense, right? So it's nice that I can log into a, a website and find all these invoices. So it's, it's something that I think is important for your, if you're building a SaaS, it's important for your customers, at least it is for me. So, yes, for sure. There's so much stuff to to deal with on billing on the billing end it's 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 really crazy yeah now one interesting thing i think that was uh, uh like a development choice you've been hearing uh i should you the listener we eric and jack we've been hearing for a long time now about how wonderful this javascript framework called view is and one of the design choices if you will or development uh, architecture choices is uh taylor uses view in Spark, and there are a few areas where you know view is pretty much required. Like they, they don't work without view. If you look at the documentation, he says in, in in other areas you can use other frameworks if you want to, but if you want these particular functions to work, you need to use view. So it totally makes sense to me. You know, Taylor and uh, I think even Matt and and Jeffrey have all been singing View's praises. So it makes sense that that would be used. But it's also interesting for me because I don't know view very well, right? So now it's kind of like, well, I probably need to. I need to shore up some JavaScript skills and, you know, and check that view thing out. So have you, have you looked at view at all? Um, just a little bit, not much. I wouldn't say I'm actually comfortable writing anything in view. I think I've done like some little basic form stuff and that's about as far as I've went. Well, that's, I wouldn't say I'm comfortable writing anything in PHP <laughs> or, or English for that matter, right? So I guess it goes, goes all the way. One of the things that threw me for a loop in Vue, because I, you know, I've used jQuery enough so that I can, you know, I, can, I can Google what I'm trying to do and throw jQuery on the page, is that the default Vue install doesn't have Ajax support. Uh-huh. There's no way in Vue to like call back to the server, and that seems to be the only reason you'd like want to use something like that, at least for me, right? Is, you know, okay, I, I did something on the screen, and now that needs to go back to the server. How do I do that, right? So I was on Slack the other day, and somebody helped me out, and they said there's like a view request package that you can add in that's actually like written and maintained by the, the view team. I don't know, like the last commit wasn't from Evan Yu, so it was somebody, but 
basically just said there are some projects that don't need it. So it's kind of an optional thing, but it's fully supported by them. So right. that made me feel better because I I didn't want to use like some third party thing. And it feel, felt weird to like, well, you know, would you use like jQuery for your Ajax, but you'd use Vue for your like, you know, DOM manipulation like that part. I didn't quite understand. So I haven't played with it yet in terms of understanding it well enough to say like, oh, I've done it and here's how you do it. But I, I at least feel more comfortable. So I don't know, I'm kind of kind of excited if, if this view thing is as good as people say. You know, then I think it's it's definitely worth learning. Yes, yeah, de- definitely. I would uh, check check out View for like future projects and stuff like that because that that kind of seems to be kind of the I don't want to say new age jQuery, but it's it's kind of the simpler version of the Angular and the Ember and all the other stuff. Yeah, um, well, there's so many of them, right? Right. But, yeah. Uh, exactly. But it sounds like you know, like the way I look at it. Gosh, what was? Oh man, now I'm I'm making a book reference here, and I don't remember the name of the book. Uh, I read a book where they talked about um, how going with what the masses go with is an easy way to make decisions. You know, to me, Laravel works that way, right? You look at the numbers behind Laravel and you say, you know what, if all of these people have gone to Laravel, it's, it's got to be a pretty safe bet, right? And I do the same thing on Amazon. If I'm going to buy something, what are the reviews? Who, you know, oh, this, this, this USB microphone has a thousand five-star reviews and this USB microphone over here has 50. Well, you know, I'm going to go with a thousand because that's a safe bet. All these people like it. And I think with uh, JavaScript frameworks, I kind of look at it the same way. I don't think Vue has the numbers behind it, but there's a lot of really smart people in the Laravel community that I respect that have looked at it and presumably have looked at other things too and have said, oh, Vue's the one, you know, here's your shortcut. You could go and research all of these things, but just use Vue. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Plus, you know, Laracast has all those videos already on view, so you can kind of get up get up and running pretty quickly. And, of course, Jeff's a great teacher, so that always helps out. Um, but one thing that we hadn't talked about, did you see the uh, in Spark, it has a the kiosk? The Spark developer kiosk is a special area of your Spark application that is only accessible to developers and provides unique developer-only features such as creating the announcements, viewing application revenue, impersonating, um, et cetera. But what's cool there is um, down at the bottom on this documentation page, it actually it, uh, it says that it includes metrics and it has a, a little daily command that you can run. And it will automatically create your um, kind of like your, your performance and revenue metrics and stats on your different packages and all this stuff. So that way you can have a quick overview you know, right from one place on how how all your sales are doing and all that. Sure, I love looking at looking at that to see you know if I, if I'm increasing revenue, decreasing. You know, if right. I should be worried. If I should right. uh, not go out to eat tonight, or I'm sure in the next week uh, Taylor's going to really enjoy looking at his kiosk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. So yeah, so I you know what when you see, it is it is it's under the documentation. I had to look this up because I didn't see it. It's under uh, kiosk is what it's under. Uh, I look at it as like an admin panel. You right, know, yeah. That would have been the word I would I would identify with. Uh, what's interesting is he doesn't really have any screenshots of it, and it sounds like a great feature. But so what you're telling me is this is where all of the operational stuff comes right. together about your your sales and stuff. And he did tweet. Uh, I don't again don't see screenshots of it in the documentation yet. But he tweeted that he was working on these like graphs mm-hmm. where That's it would where like graph would like in, your yeah. your sales per day and all that kind of stuff. So I'm kind of kind of eager to to mess around with that. Eric, you wrote a book on using Stripe, and that seems like that's going to be a key component here. You can use Stripe or Braintree, I think was the other one, right? Right. How, how much effort was setting up Stripe you know, for you? Is it a pretty easy thing for folks to do? Yeah, as far as like creating your Stripe account or... 
Yeah, because it looks like you. One of the things that I did notice is that uh, in one of the screencasts, you know, what 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 Taylor would do is he would create like a plan, and then he would put some kind of value in, like to name the plan. And he commented that like you have to then go into Stripe, and he doesn't show it in a screencast, and set the same plan up over there, mm-hmm. and that the plan name has to match. So it, does it work where you basically like you set up a Stripe account, you set up some of these kind of things in Stripe. And then use like some ID and then you bring that back into Spark. Is that how that's going to work? Right. Yeah. So in, from your Stripe admin, you will create your plans and you'll create your coupons. And then, you know, your config is where you'll set up your plans. And then the coupons and stuff actually hit the Stripe API directly to make sure the coupon exists. Okay. Um, and, then, and then it's applied basically through the Stripe call. So, okay. Um, so that, that's all pretty easy. Actually getting set up with Stripe was super easy. You just kind of fill out a fill out a form and you're good to go. I was looking at Braintree last night and it seemed like it was a little bit more difficult because they want you to actually be a real business. Um, oh. So where Stripe, you can kind of do it on a personal account too. How does Stripe, uh, like do they need a bank account number or anything? Yeah. Or like is it kind of like PayPal where you basically just give them an email address and tell no. them where you want this check sent? And No, they do a bank account. So they do automatic uh deposits or withdrawals or whatever yeah automatic deposits I, I think it's like every like 24 hours or 48 hours oh wow so okay. it's really nice because you get it fast um yeah but the of course like for me the problem is is you know you end up having a lot of people that want to pay you with paypal um so, yeah. so you're kind of torn on you know stripe is super nice it's super easy to integrate but some people just love paypal so it's kind of like uh can't win yeah and paypal works through braintree Right, what I understand, yeah. well, right? Braintree is a PayPal company. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I remember hearing about that on a podcast or something that they they bought the other folks out. But so PayPal should, in my ideal world, make it work just like Stripe, and then everybody would be happy. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of it's sure. all it's convoluted IPN and all the other mess. No, a question for you. Once upon a time, I thought the deal with Stripe was that when you charge something on your website, that somehow the credit card number went like directly into Stripe server and didn't touch your server at all. Right. Yeah. Is that how that works? Right. And and the reason I thought that that was supposed to be good from what I was reading was that it kind of takes you off the hook for storing any of that data. Like you'll, if you get hacked, you don't ever have to worry about having credit card numbers in your database. Right. Yeah. You never, okay. never, never store credit card numbers on your own. So I, I know that like when I was using Spark this morning to pay for Spark, you know, in other words, you know, Spark is built on Spark. It asked for my credit card information. I couldn't tell. And I honestly, I didn't pay attention to the URL. It didn't look like I got redirected anywhere. It looked like I was putting that information into the Spark server. So That'll be an interesting area to you know well, to hear more about over. So what it does weeks. is, uh, what Stripe does is on the credit card form when you enter your card number, it automatically hits a call over to Stripe's API, okay, and then it sends back a token to you, uh, okay, to your you know HTML page, and then so whenever you submit the form, you're actually not submitting the credit card number, you're submitting the token that Stripe has already passed back, and then on your next API call to Stripe. It uh, uses that token to to verify the purchase, and then it sends back. So basically, your the credit card is actually never submitted, you know, through your form post or anything like that. Okay, so to clarify, like when I typed in my credit card information, what you're saying is that Ajax in the background sent that card number over HTTPS not to the Spark server, but to the Stripe server. Right. Yes. The Stripe, the payment service. In case folks, in case you can't keep it straight, Stripe 
Think about the credit card stripe on your credit card, the magnetic stripe is payment. Spark, think about like a spark plug or ignition or light uh, is, is Laravel. Um, so that makes sense. So it's never actually hitting the Laravel server at all. The reason that it was weird is I, I saw a tweet where somebody had asked if the credit card number could be removed from the server afterwards. And Taylor uh, replied back that, you know, I think he replied to send him an email with what, like email me with which email address you use on your account or whatever. So see what now what's what uh, Spark does and cashier too actually is it does store the last four of your card number for display purposes later, just so you can know what card you've actually paid with. I see. Um, So, and so basically you can, you know, he could go in and clear that out. Um, Makes sense. So, so just so the, to, just the so there's no doubt at all. Stored, right? Not the whole. Makes sense. Number. Okay, that's cool. That's yeah. That's good to know. And I think it's well, it's great as a developer. I don't want to deal with that stuff. Yeah. You know? uh, something else pretty neat. I don't know if you know this. On the Stripe forms, like when you're creating your credit card forms, on your credit card field, if you do not put a name on the input, okay, it will not post to your um, form processor. So you know how you like have input type uh, text. Name right. equals, you know, first name. Right. If you leave off that name field, it won't. The browser will not submit that in with the post data. Oh, okay. So that's how you get around not posting what you enter in that form, as far as like the credit card number. Oh, I follow you. Okay, that makes sense, right? Because when you hit the button, it is going to post. So you just leave that one basically blank. Right. Yep. It doesn't make it back to the server that way. Is that a now? Here's a question: Is it? Is it going back to the server and the server just ignores it because it doesn't see it because it's not a name value? Or does is that a browser feature where the browser just decides, like, I'm not going to send it? Right, yeah, it's browser feature, so it's not seeing it at all. So, like, if, yeah. if you do, like, you know, dine dump the post global, it, it'll yeah. not be there at all. Because the other thing they could do is that, that, that submission of the form could really be done through JavaScript, in which case you could choose which fields to send over as well. Right, right yeah, so. yeah, no, that would be different, right? Yeah, yeah, that's actually what I thought they were doing. So that's that's, a, that's curious stuff. Curious stuff. So, uh, well, pretty neat, man. Well, we're 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 almost at the end of our time. Is there anything else Spark related that we can that we think missed? of right now? <laughs> um, I don't think so. Um, you know, it's you know, check it out. Uh, I think it if if you are wanting to start charging for something, it's definitely uh, definitely something to 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 try out and to use. Um, I think uh, what's interesting is I bet you we'll have a lot more commercial apps coming out in the next year or two. <laughs> so, Eric, I got to say, this has been one of my favorite episodes to talk about just because, you know, I'm so uh, interested in using Spark for myself. Um, I, 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 I'm looking forward to the future of what this brings. I'm looking forward to see what people do with it. I'm looking forward to hearing about ways, you know, that that people have tweaked it and features that I didn't hear about. Uh, and stuff like that. How about how about you, Eric? You, you any high hopes? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to uh, hear about the developers who uh, are quitting work and working full time for themselves now because of Spark. I think that's exciting. I tell you, you know, it's funny. Uh, there's there's a phrase in America called the American Dream, and I don't know if this is a phrase that everybody outside of America has ever heard of. But you know, it, it, I, apparently at one point in our history, there was this American dream, and I think it was for people to have a home and you know in the suburbs or something. I don't even know. But I feel like today the dream of all developers is that idea that you write some application and it does well enough that you can quit your day job and just spend full time like working on this idea. You know, um, and I think Spark is going to help folks get to that a lot quicker. And and for the you know for hundred bucks, I mean you can't beat it. 
can't beat it. So, well, any other comments? Nope. And uh, I think that's about the show. Um, I enjoyed so it. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, just a shameless plug for Eric. Uh, Laravel-news.com, of course, has all of the up-to-date news. And I suspect that in the next couple of weeks, we're going to see a few posts here and there about Spark, uh, you know, because you usually, if you don't write them yourself, you link to other people's articles and stuff as well. So I think that's, you know, if there's ever a time to follow the Twitter uh, account or to check out the website on a regular basis, this is probably it to, to learn all about that stuff. And then the other thing is, uh, you know, Eric did write a book called, uh, what is it? It's, is it easy, easy e-commerce with Laravel and Stripe. And it covers using Stripe. Yeah. So, so, so buy Spark and you don't even need that. <laughs> well, I, I feel like there's a little bit of truth to that, but I, it, I don't think it hurts to understand how that stuff works under the hood either. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, I, th- I think it's, you know, it's just additional documentation to kind of have handy if you ever want to customize it beyond what Spark does out of the box. And, that was a comment I saw from Taylor on Twitter already. As somebody was asking, "Well, does does do this? Does do that? Does it?" And, and he was like, "Dude, it doesn't." He didn't say "dude," but he was like, "He was like, it's not necessary for Spark to do 100 percent of the stuff." I mean, you can still be a programmer and customize it, right? Yes. You know. So I think that you know that that's you know just a a good thing to remind people about that that's out there. So yes, thanks everybody for listening, and we'll see you again in two weeks. And uh, I I think we all know what we're going to be doing for the next two weeks. So. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. This concludes this episode of the Laravel News Podcast. If you like the show, please rate it five stars on iTunes. If you have feedback for the podcast, please email us at podcast at laravel-news.com. Thanks for listening.